Hello and welcome to Skinnerd Reconsidered. We've got something different for you today and I'm very excited about it. We have a very special guest. Usually when I say that it's maybe an old friend or family member. And look, nothing against you guys, you're great. But none of you make very good country music. And our guest today is one of my favorite new country artists. His name is Zephaniah Ohora. He has a great new album out called Listening to the Music. If you like traditional country music, you're going to love this. But don't just take my word for it. Rolling Stone praised Zephaniah's Razor Sharp Band and Killer New Songs. Glide Magazine called Listening to the Music a marvelously well-crafted album. And SavingCountryMusic.com called Zephaniah nothing short of a modern master of the classic country realm. So you're going to want to buy Listening to the Music wherever you buy music. Then you're going to want to go back to his debut album called This Highway, which is incredible as well. Go to ZephaniahOhora.com, buy some vinyl, buy a t-shirt. It's just a great guy making great music. And we had a great talk. So Zephaniah, turn it up. Congratulations are in order. So can we expect a, a new album but all about being a, a new dad? Uh, um, yeah, we'll see if I can uh, <laughs> find any time to do anything else. I mean, that's kind of why I'm early too. We, we did early bath time. So uh-huh. and it was just like, all right, I may as well get set up since we're done a little earlier. So yeah. Is this yeah, your it's, first? Yeah, it's my first, first one. He's uh, four months old. Uh, in two weeks or something or a week from now. Sorry. Okay. So that's amazing for me. I've got three kids. So the first, the first two months are just kind of a hell ride where you just try to kind of get through it. And then, then they start to sleep a little bit. Right. He kind of reversed. He was slept better. And then they were like, no, I need to wake him up and feed him. And then now he's like not sleeping so great. So, but he's in a four months phase where he's gets more fussy. I don't know. I guess just all part of the, the uh, trial and error, figure it out. Yep, absolutely. So got a few questions for you, but mostly we'll just chat, hopefully. We'll get this one out of the way. So you make what I would call classic country music, you know, pure country. People talk about, you know, there's comparisons to Merle Haggard, Graham Parsons, which I would take as a huge compliment, personally. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's that kind of that Bakersfield sound, countrypolitan strings here and there. Um, but it's classic country music that still sounds fresh, of course but you live in, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So I'm just interested in knowing because I've, I've been in Nashville my whole life and I spent a lot of time on the, the country music nerd message boards. Yeah. And I know about the country purists out there who sometimes can be a little misguided. So sure. is this actually an obstacle for you or is it just something that few people might talk about on a message board, being a country music purist from Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of an obstacle here and there. I think, I think maybe I'm a, I have uh, um, there's people who are a little more critical of me, but that's again in the internet message boards, comment sections. Uh, for the most part, anyone that's written reviews from around the country has been pretty, you know, open, uh, open armed, and just kind of judge me on the actual music and the songwriting. So, um, you said you're in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, just outside of Nashville. Yeah, I think like, I don't know, everyone in Nashville that I know, lots of people there are pretty accepting of me too. I have a lot of friends in Nashville that are like musicians, you know, and songwriters. So yeah, it's a little bit of an obstacle in some, on some level. 
but on the on the other level it helps me out because i'm not from nashville i'm not based in nashville so in some sense like people kind of scratch their head or maybe pay more attention because they're like oh weird that's the one guy from new york that's doing like country music you know or the one guy we know of so yeah it kind of sets you apart in a way yeah well and i guess there's the two parts of nashville right there's the music row that produces yeah right music that you know probably to me or you maybe doesn't really sound like country music anymore but then there's a ton of of great artists that are making certain versions of of country music in nashville of course that are amazing so what about like the modern pop country thing does that does it bother you at all or are you just completely disconnected from it um i don't maybe like very early on when i was releasing my first record maybe i kind of ranted a little bit about that but on the same note like I don't really, it's kind of irrelevant to me anyway, because there's just enough of a crowd of people that want to hear more, you know, traditional classic sounding country music. And so, and arguably it's maybe like a hipper crowd or it's people that are older that are cool and like, and like that music and, and don't care if you're some newer, younger guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I don't really, it doesn't, but then on the same note, I don't think it's really out of line in some sense. I've kind of been realizing this recently doing all these interviews is that uh, country music in it, like in the past was pop music. That's why it's good, in my opinion. That's why what I'm, what I like writing and the style I like writing and it's simplistic and it's basically what similar to pop music at the time. And that's mm-hmm. what country music reflected. You know, when you're getting in the 60s and 70s, uh, not so much in the 40s and 50s, maybe that was different. But even then, I think it still was considered pop music. But uh, so, I mean, if you look at modern country or whatever you want to call it, it's kind of basically pop music, you know. I just don't like pop. Like, I don't like modern pop music. So. Right, right. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, a song of yours like um, You Make It Easy to Love Again. I mean, to me, that's an instantly catchy song you start right in with the chorus and that seems like a kind of song that anyone can like, but you know, unfortunately it's not what you're going to hear, I guess on, on country right. pop radio. Although, you know, we are seeing popularity obviously from, from some of the guys that we would call more true um, country artists, but. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's definitely obviously like, you know, Sturgill and Tyler and people like that are definitely getting more or, you know, I don't know, Miranda Lambert, I guess, or I don't know who else we could, out there like leanne womack at some point but yeah i think so you know but i mean it's also that yeah if it's pop music i don't know if, i don't know why they play the music they play but obviously it works financially or whatever for them so i don't think they're going to stop doing that you know yeah yeah i suppose you're right do you ever consider moving to nashville i don't know that you yeah would. absolutely yeah i mean before the pandemic uh happened like right before i was I had a trip scheduled down there because I was going to potentially open up a little like venue space bar with some people that I've been working with for a while here in New York. And uh, so I had appointments to meet with a real estate agent and look at spaces and just kind of start laying the groundwork for that. Uh, And especially my partner and I like, well, she's from the South and she's from Louisiana. So she's like, definitely into she's been in new york for longer than i have so it's like hey let's move down south that'll be a nice change and and uh of course she likes it down there because that's where she's from mm-hmm. uh but obviously it's done the pandemic like literally that weekend we had the trip planned she was going to stay for a couple of days and then i was going to stay for the rest of the week to do the business stuff and then we you know the tornado happened and then we were like oof like i don't know if it's even I feel like weird even going down, like people are having such a hard time. Either I go down and help out volunteer or like maybe it's not a good time to look at spaces. And then I said, you know, I'll just do it. And then the pandemic thing happened where it was like that weekend was the weekend that the international flight ban happened. So we were just like, well, and then thank God we didn't go because I think the following week is when everything in Nashville shut down. Yeah. So it was like, we wouldn't have been able to do anything and you know, no hot chicken or, right. or Roberts or, you know, um, so. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, it was, it was quite a one-two punch. I mean, it was still reeling from the oh, tornado. Man, yeah. 
you know, that became old news, you know, to, in a lot of ways because. But yeah, it's almost as I didn't even happen outside of there. Like people, you know, from the outside, it's like now the pandemic is the thing. But that was a pretty big deal. The tornado it was, it was really, really sad. Yeah. It did a lot yeah. of damage, especially East Nashville, where did you yeah. do I remember correctly? Did you play the basement East at some point? Yeah. Um, I think I was out of town when you did that show. Uh, the Basement East is the smaller one or the bigger one? I can't remember. Um, yeah, I've played the smaller one a few times. The last time I was there, I think I played the smaller one with like Christina Murray and uh, a couple other people on that bill. Yeah. And I've played the Basement East op- opening up for Circles Around the Sun, like Neil that's Strand. Right. Um, and that was cool. Uh, and that's the one that got wrecked, right? Yeah, it's pretty the bigger bad. one, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's crazy. It, it really so, I mean, so how did it affect you releasing a new record during a pandemic? Obviously, you can't tour to support the album. What other kind of adjustments did you have to make? Um, yeah, uh, well, I don't have any money coming in. Like, I didn't, I suddenly just didn't have any money, like coming in period to pay for my life because most of the money I make is from at this bar. I book all the live music place called skinny Dennis in in Brooklyn. I've been booking there since 2013 when they opened. So, and I also played there once or twice a week and it was pretty good money doing that. Um, Yeah. And I worked at a salon still part-time like once a month. I used to be there full time in Manhattan. They closed. So it was just kind of like all of a sudden I went from, still not making enough money like all as most people's stories um to whoa i'm not making any money and i don't know what's going to happen so that was a little scary because i had pr and things to pay for and merch that i had already promised to people that i was like uh, how am i going to buy this merch now for my kickstarter people you know yeah uh so that was kind of scary but you know unemployment and stuff came through and that helped me do that and um Bandcamp has been great because I always have revenue coming in. So if I need to use that to buy stuff to pay for products, uh, yeah. So uh, that's that's been a, a change, <clears throat> and I guess just pr- uh, presenting myself like how appropriate is that, especially during the protests with the George Floyd thing and all that stuff. It felt kind of like I don't really want to be promoting my like promoting myself right now. But then again, it's like, well, life needs to go on in some level, but yeah. those are kind of the main things. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And then <laughs> yeah. you, baby, at the same, wow. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, not to sound cliche, but uh, you know, during all these, these struggles that, that we're all having, as you just described, I mean, for, for someone like me, music is, is part of what gets you through. So I hope you would never feel any guilt about, putting that out there and, yeah i mean that's the thing yeah. too yeah and uh that's the thing i found during lockdown i mean i'm also like a i, I host like a grateful dead like well i used to hold host a grateful dead night at skinny dennis which was like pretty popular and, and a lot of people started going there and then then i decided with the friends the people that i do that with that we do like a live stream of that so we just do like a live stream and i play a bunch of stuff that i collect and talk about it and all that. Um, cool. And that's kind of like what kept me going. <laughs> you know, like it was like music was keeping me going, like looking for it. I'm making set lists. And so I understand that that's what it is for everybody else too, who love people who love music. It's like, you know, that's one thing you can do at least. It's like, you can still listen to recorded music and thank God, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's important uh, to a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, everybody's struggling but musicians in particular in some ways so let's say that you know someone's listening and they they want to keep the music they love going do you have ideas for the best way to support an artist my understanding is Bandcamp, as far as the actual money that goes to the artist Bandcamp's probably the best way to go if you just want to purchase songs um yeah any other ideas or organizations or uh like music cares is pretty good uh they do a lot of stuff for artists that like if someone gets sick, they have like medical bills um, or they don't have health insurance and they need something helped out with or for mental health care. But then also during the pandemic, um, like I, I applied um, and a whole bunch of other people I know applied and they gave out like a thousand dollars 
just to fill out a thing and say, hey, I have, this is what I do for most of my work and I have these albums out or, you know, this is when I perform. You kind of have to prove that you're not just some random person, but yeah. Um, but it's, it wasn't incredibly difficult and they just sent, send you a thousand bucks and uh, that goes a long way. That's a lot of groceries, you know? Yeah. Um, so Music Cares is good. Um, I feel like you can donate to headcount.org. They're doing like the voting stuff now, but that's somehow related to the Grateful Dead too. I think headcount. Um, but I think, I feel like Music Cares is probably the best, best source of people who just want to donate you know okay. yeah yeah i've heard good an organization because yeah. it's like multifaceted you know it's like they address all sorts of issues and things um so that's pretty cool yeah so i did i want to talk to you about neil casal who of course produced your new album and i first became a fan of his back when he was with ryan adams and the cardinals yeah i got pretty deep into that and listened to a lot of their live shows which i mean that was a really great band um, they were kind of burning through Ryan Adams' catalog and extending some of those songs, kind of going a little into that Grateful Dead territory at times. Yeah, totally. Um, country rock stuff. and Country rock, yeah. But just a great guitarist, great singer, great songwriter. So what was he like as a producer working with you on this, this new album? Um, Neil was great. I mean, it was just uh, like you said, he's a songwriter, so... Uh, even though I think that he focused more on even though he started out on guitar initially, like I think that he shifted back to focusing more on that to sort of expand like, his opportunities as a, as a musician and being a sideman. Uh, but he's definitely a songwriter at heart. So um, having someone like that as a songwriter is great because he kind of left his ego at the door or any of his agenda. It was like, you know, he wasn't playing guitar. The plan wasn't that he was going to play guitar in the record. It was just that he was going to produce it and help us get to all the right places sonically and spiritually or musically or however you want to put it. Um, so that was like a immediate kind of relief because I didn't know him that well personally. We had been friendly and like, you know, talked back and forth for a while and, uh, but it was a little bit like, oh, I've never worked with this person. I don't know if they're going to suggest all kinds of like weird stuff that like I don't want to do. And then you're in the awkward situation of being like, you know, you just don't know anybody that you work with, like what they're, what they're really going to be like in that setting and such like an intimate experience. But just like we, he hadn't even said that he was going to definitely produce it for sure. He's like, I'll think about it. And then he started texting me about this song or that song you know he'd be like what about emily like what's the deal with that or like tell me about this song you know so then it was like kind of this we just got into it and that was the thing was he was just like really into the songs and was really excited about the songs um and so that put me at ease and so that was always the focus for him was the songs you know which to me is actually kind of hard to find. I mean, the only person I know that's a lot like that is John Grayboff, who plays pedal steel on both of my records and played in the Cardinals. Yep. And John's awesome. Um, and he's just like a instrumentalist, you know, he's not really like a songwriter, but he's a rare, even rarer case because he is just like a, a instrumentalist that he's all, he always, he's always saying, you know, it's all about the song. If it wasn't for the song, we wouldn't, none of us would have any work, you know? Yeah. Uh, so to have two guys like that working with that were like that was pretty cool because, you know, they do everything to service. They don't overplay or overproduce or overwork anything. It's like, let's find the right place to go. So, and it was great just because I got to get to know him on, on a deeper level. And like, I really kind of felt like we became closer friend or friends. And then he felt like an older brother to me, like a mentor or something. So we, every night, after a session we'd go to the bar and like get dinner and have some drinks and just hang out and talk about all sorts of stuff till late you know and then yeah. get up and go to the studio the next morning so uh, it was pretty great yeah that sounds like an amazing experience it's, yeah it's hard to believe it's been a little over a year now and yeah it's, it's definitely missed yeah it's it's also crazy that you know i didn't well it was the silver lining and all that was that I got to meet so many other people that I would probably would have never connected with that would reached out to me saying, Hey man, like, you know, Neil, like really loved you and like your record. And he was so proud of all this kind of stuff like that. So like, then you're 
get sort of friendly with these other people that you would have never talked to probably. So that was cool. But um, then I also realized that I didn't realize how many people that he really connected with on like some really deep level, like people really genuinely felt like close to that guy. And I I just don't know how he had time to do that. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't tell you how many people I've met or who have written to me or whatever. It's like, what? how did he even have time? You know, um, but that was kind of who he was. Is like he was a real, real deal, real dude. So, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I had to bring him up because I'm a huge fan, and he's you know an important part of this new album. I, I imagine it must be tough that every time you have an interview, you probably get asked about it. But um, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it might have been harder, like, if my album came out, like, right when that happened, which, you know, I wanted to have it come out like in (laughs) that that fall. So that probably would have been, I mean, at that time, I was like, when that all went down, I was just like, I don't even know if I want to, you know, it was this kind of thing where it was just like, it was a heavy thing to experience and deal with. So, but now it's more, you know, you just learn stuff. You, you realize you learned more and more things even if the person's not here anymore you know there's like certain moments you remember you recall or you know think we have all our phones save all our text messages so you can like be like what was that thing that he said to me you know and yeah. I come back and look. yeah sounds a little morbid i guess in a way but it's more like you know yeah. he like that was his he did his time here and and there's so many so many people are still learning stuff from neil because he was like a he lived and breathed music that was his like thing so it's it was very inspiring to be around that yeah well it's quite the legacy you know not just musical but also clearly you know he touched a lot of people personally um Mm -hmm. and and one of the things i love about both your albums honestly is just sonically they sound they sound amazing to me you know i guess people could say you know, it's kind of a throwback country sound or a retro sound in some ways. And I think, you know, you hear a lot of those sort of retro album for you know, lack of a better term, retro sounding music that they sort of intentionally want to make it sound rough around the edges as if that adds some authenticity. Right. And I love that you didn't kind of fall into that trap and, and both of the albums yeah. just sound amazing. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, that's always been my, I mean, that's what I love about recordings from particularly in the middle to late 60s and then like into the early 70s it was kind of like the period where they really figured out they got to the ultimate level of like recording music naturally you know without the aid of computers they didn't have yet and so like that's what i love about that sound so i think it sounds timeless because it just it sounds to me most what those instruments and things actually really sound like you know and that's what it was anyway it was just a bunch of guys in a room you know, playing. So, uh, yeah, that's great. It's, I appreciate you saying that. And yeah, I, I never wanted to have the old timey, uh, Jack white likes distorted vocal. I don't know like that. I mean, I get that whole thing, but it is a funny thing to be like, do I really want to sound like I'm coming through a old radio during world war two or something? I don't know. It's yeah. funny to me. It's yeah, weird, yeah, but, but I get it. If you mix that with modern, uh, production and that's kind of a cool like otherworldly mix or something but uh, i just like stuff that sounds really crisp and good and like and it's like that's all thanks to the engineer uh aaron nevezi who engineered and like mixed both those records um he's incredible and he just understands all that stuff and has all this gear old gear and new gear and like knows how to like watch the levels so like when it gets pressed to vinyl or like when you hear the final product there's no like weird distortion or you know things going on so yeah 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 Yeah, i guess you know there's a place for everything right but it's a little overdone i think that kind of sound that you were describing and it's great to hear something that's just crystal clear and you have so many great players on um on both just incredible musicians and being able to hear them do their thing with on great songs i mean that's all you need right yeah, pretty much. So I've got to, before I forget, I've got to ask, this is a Leonard Skinner podcast. So right. I really just want to talk about you and your music, but it's a Skinner reconsidered. So do you have any connection with Skinner? Any opinions, thoughts? On the band? Um, I mean, it's a classic, amazing band from the heyday of that type of music. And, uh, 
I, honestly, it always makes me think of Skinny Dennis because I've spent thousands of hours in that bar and hanging out. And for some reason, it always comes on like when our set would be over, like at the end of the night, we'd play from like nine to midnight. So, um, so a lot of that kind of stuff seems to come on the jukebox or like whoever's was playing their, um, you know, iPad or whatever that night. Um, but, uh, other than that, I, you know, I don't know. I, I just think it's classic, classic rock and great music. And every now and then I, I read up on the, the flight story and like different things like that, where I'm like, what is, what exactly happened? Like the whole band died basically. And then <laughs> it's a crazy uh, story. Yeah. 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 It really for, is. for me and the, you know, listeners have heard it a million times, but you know, the project, this podcast is based on the fact that it was my dad's favorite band. I grew up loving it. Then I decided when I was a teenager, it, it wasn't cool. And you know, you're growing up, especially around here, you get tired of hearing sweet home Alabama. So I kind of rejected right. it for a while. And but that's an amazing through, song. It's a great song. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, they're good songs. There's a reason why they play them all the time. But now I'm going through each song, and some of which I'd never heard before. And it, yeah, it turns out they're just a really solid, great rock and roll band. And I did find a couple, thinking about you, a couple of tenuous connections. One is that, back to Neil for a second, I didn't realize until recently that he basically started his career playing with Blackfoot, right. Ricky Medlock's yeah. band. Of course, Ricky Medlock is is now in Skinnerd, and uh, I'm not a big fan That's of this it. current iteration of the band. I like the prime Skinnerd before the plane crash, but he was also an original member of Leonard Skinnerd before their their first album. He left, but so there is that Ricky Medlock uh, Neil Casal connection. I didn't, that is I didn't know that you played with them. I for, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I mean, he basically started like in hair metal and like shit like that there's some really amazing photos that uh gary his longtime friend and manager who's basically running his accounts now like started the neil casal music foundation like and we're making this record this compilation record of all these songs recorded by neil uh, or you know songs that neil wrote recorded by a bunch of artists like famous artists and people like me uh, so it's been cool to see those photos because you're like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Because I mean, Neil also was still at the end of the day just like loves classic rock and like guitar. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and interestingly enough, too, when he was in that band, because <clears throat> um, were they in like Michigan? Is that the? Um, yeah, I think Ricky Medlock lived in Detroit at that time, and this was not, you know, it wasn't the heyday of of Blackfoot by any stretch. Of course, yeah, but like he was, I think he was like Neil was like. 17 right he was pretty young yeah. uh but interestingly enough um my friend john lee shannon who plays guitar on my record like him and neil like really hit it off and like became really close too because just john's a great guitar player and a great dude and john's like one of my closest friends so it's like him and neil just had their own like you know like there's connection with all this other music that they knew that i don't know as well because i'm not a guitar player in the same way and um and then, like, we went out to have drinks and uh, dinner after, like, I think, the first night of the sessions. And we were all just talking. And then it turned out that uh, part of that band or that circle of musicians, this guy uh, was a guitar teacher for my friend John Lee Shannon. And then so Neil actually went and lived right near where John grew up um, and then was in that band. It was, like, all in that time period. And they, like, realized that Neil had played music and known this guy that was john's first guitar teacher it was like, like a oh, crazy wow. like yeah and they actually knew a bunch of other people too they knew this like guitar shop owner and like <laughs> all these people where they were just both like how would and i've never met anyone else that knows who that guy is unless they're from that town like yeah. and they're still in that town you know <laughs> so it was like a like synchronicity kind of like whoa you know um so that is interesting too though because that's kind of all ties it in full circle right now to this moment in a way you know it's interesting you could probably do a, a six degrees of separation with somebody like neil in the music community you know uh, oh for sure yeah and the other thing and then i'll leave skinner behind but um you know the other thing that i always harp on is you know the prime skinner did owe a lot to real country music you know ronnie van zant was a huge fan of merle haggard merle played at ronnie's funeral there was rumors they were going to do a oh, duet okay. together but then the plane crash happened so that never occurred but you know, they covered Jimmy Rogers 
And so, mm-hmm. you know, I can cover honky tonk nighttime, man, too. Right. They, so, yeah, they did. A, yeah. They did Jacksonville Kid It's basically a, Ronnie did like a rewrite of that song. And Merle was still there's credited. A, yeah, there's a live. Um, I forget which uh, show uh, it is. Uh, it's I think it's in the early 80s. I mean, it's like I, it's a really great Merle show live performance. And uh when he does that song, they start they start kicking into it. And it's like, here's one Leonard Skinner did for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And it's like, no, no kidding. I, did they write that song? I asked him, was like, wait a minute, did they write it? Or, uh, <laughs> But that's pretty cool. And it makes sense because the song and everything, it sounds like it, it fits. You know what I mean? Like It does. So that's pretty cool. I forgot about that connection even coming into this interview. I, I didn't think, oh, yeah, that's right. There's that thing where he mentions that about Leonard Skinner. It's there, yeah. And yeah. I harp on it because I think most people now, unfortunately, because, you know, the last 20 years, um, if you said Skinner and country music, they would think like bro country and, oh, Kid, right. kid Rock or what, you know, because those are kind of who they pal around with now. But, you know, back in the day, it was Jimmy Rogers and Merle Haggard that they were covering. So anyway, right. so if you got, I'm not going to keep you too long. If you got a few sure. more minutes, you know, what oh, I do yeah. on the podcast, I go through... Skinner songs one, you know, one song per episode. So I thought we would do maybe an abbreviated version of that with your songs, meaning I'll throw out the name of one of your songs, you know, word association, whatever you want to say about it, writing the song, recording it, playing it live. Any thoughts on, on the song? Just kind of run through, because I'm always fascinated in like really digging deep into, you know, particular songs of the music that I love. So if you're up um, for it. Sure, yeah. And, and we'll focus on the new album, of course, but I got to start with the first song I heard of yours that I immediately fell in love. And I, I discovered you from uh, SavingCountryMusic.com. You know, Kyle over there has been a big yeah, supporter awesome. of yours. And I check out his website like every day. But the first song I heard was uh, Way Down in My Soul. Yeah. Love that song. Yeah. I know I'm uh, leaving it wide open. Well, I uh, wrote that thinking about i heard like maybe it would be like a song emmy lou harris would sing or something and i like wrote it like really late at night but i uh like at like three in the morning or something and uh and i i decided to make it some sort of like parallel like uh to lsd like a psychedelic experience that it wasn't actually like about someone you're in love with that it was about like this like thing this entity or like a, a spirit um so that's kind of the, the real true root of that, um, of that song. I wander through a desert Searching for a paradise I roamed an endless trail Through a wilderness I got lost inside my mind And I always failed to find She reached way down in my soul She's a treasure to hold A mystic's dream and a poet's gold And she reached way down in my Another one I got to mention from the first album, because to me, it's just, you know, it's like a perfect, just classic country ballad. And that's, it's the third song on the album. I'm blanking on the title because I'm an idiot. Oh, uh, Take Your Love Out of Town? Take Your Love Out of Town. Thank you. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all good. Um, That was like one of the first songs that I wrote, like when I uh, started doing this truck driving country band with Jim Campolongo. And... Um, it was when I was first trying to figure out how to use GarageBand on my phone. Yeah, and uh, so I don't know if you're hearing this uh, thing. It's um, it's a it's a alarm being sounded for the Hasidic Jews that live kind of nearby, like for synagogue or whatever. Oh, it sounds like a bomb, you know, a bomb warning or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, uh, take your love out of town. Um, it's a miracle uh, my kids haven't barged in yet. So we're used to interruptions here. Oh yeah. Um, 
uh that that song i was like one of the first ones i wrote uh with jim and or, or around the time i was collaborating with jim with that band and that was just kind of and my friend joe someone has said that's like my best and he's like that's your best song you're never going to probably write a better song than that. <laughs> oh all right <laughs> i honestly Thanks. did when i heard it i thought like this is like a career song i mean it's a classic yeah. country ballad that i could never get tired of and yeah uh, there's something about that song that's cool that's very special i don't know if I'll ever write anything like that again, but I'll try. No, well, you did it once. That's good enough. Yeah. Take your love out of town, dear. Take your love far away from me It don't matter anymore now Forsaken love I taught you how Get yourself out on the highway It's easy there to get lost Lord knows I treated you the wrong way And we're both paying the cost I know tonight you're loving someone Loving him like you loved me And if tonight you're missing someone Come on back here where you belong So take your love out of town, dear Take your love far away from me Alright, so from the new album, the, the opener, I love Heaven's on the Way. I love that everybody kind of gets a solo. Um, and, and again, it shows off kind of the musicianship of your band. Uh, yeah, um, I actually had thought about, I was... It originally started out as like sort of like ripping off like Friend of the Devil or something. Uh, and it was kind of sounded much different like acoustically initially. And then uh, John, my friend John Lee Shan got the beat bender. So he was uh, really exploring with that. So I was like, how about something like that? Like if you can write a cool intro part that really fits that kind of sound and feel. And we kind of stole like the birds drum drum feel just we didn't steal we just kind of incorporated like some of that influence into it but i wrote that that's another song that i wrote really late at night and really quickly like it was just kind of couldn't write it fast enough you know i couldn't write the words down fast enough and it was just like it was done and then i just had to figure out what the feel was going to be really the life we knew before was all right for a time well, who didn't know this was coming down the line? With that wind blowing through your hair And me smiling like a kid Heaven's on the way We won that winning bid There's no telling where we're headed If we'll find us some trouble Live out our dreams on the road We're not worried about tomorrow What's coming round the bend and raise hell along the way Cause heaven's on the way We've got better things to do We take a break from loving To stop and look around
know everyone asks this question, but I haven't heard you answer it. And it does always interest me. Do you, do you just write when inspiration strikes or do you take more of a workman kind of attitude where you make yourself sit down and try to write something? Um, I do both. Um, I generally, yeah, I do both. Uh, for a couple years before I wrote all these songs, I think I was reading a lot of, I know some people don't believe in it or think it's corny or like think it's not how you do it, but I really think that like songwriting is just like a muscle. It's an exercise. That it's like a skill that you hone and like work at and you have to keep keep up with it otherwise you'll kind of lose the sharpness of it um so i've been into like reading books about it and doing like exercises and i haven't done any of that kind of thing in like a while and i've also been kind of in a space where i have lots of ideas i start and then i'm like i don't know if i can really finish this tune or like if this is a song or what it is um so i actually recently just got some more books that i haven't read yet and i just want to kind of like crack back into that and and start doing some exercises to see because i mean the analogy is that the more you do it and like the more you actually practice like tried and true like methods that when you understand like what makes a really good song the the, ele- the basic elements that are in there um are understandable in a rational way they're not just like magic that just there's mm-hmm. no explanation for it. um it's like diving you know like if someone uh is deep sea diving like you can't just you know dive all the way down to the very bottom you know you can't go to super deep depths right away you kind of have to like work up physically and the whole thing the whole process in order to be able to do that but the more you do that the more skilled you get that the faster you're able to get down there and and stay down there and so that's the idea with like songwriting is like or learning like methods and practices is that like once you have practiced it enough, you can dive into your subconscious, you know, into the depths and like pull out stuff that like the other part of your brain would edit and you wouldn't be able to access. But when you do these methods, um, you can kind of pull out subconscious memories or experiences or things you saw, you know, um, into a song. And that's pretty cool. To me, that's like really exciting because it's almost like an endless bank of information that I just need to like get better at mining it, you know? Yeah. Well, that makes sense to me. I don't write songs, but, and you know, we like to think of this mystical romantic quality to music and that's certainly there, but yeah, it has everything I'm aware of though. The more you do it, the better you get. Right. And you kind of have to stick. Yeah. There's no like, yeah. Even with guitar, you know, like I still not anywhere near where I want to be with guitar, but it's like had long conversations with my friend John about this and he's an incredible guitar player, but he's like, dude, the honest truth is, all those guys that we know that are really great guitar players, they've just spent more time than you have like on it, you know, like, yeah. And that's it. Like, it's not, there's not like a secret, like someone doesn't just like come out just knowing how to play guitar. It takes many hard, arduous you know, hours of su- suffering and pain, you know, or like anything else. Uh, if you're working on a degree or an education or a family raising a child, it's all like, these little small painful things or difficult things that like build this thing into a mature thing. So, you know, it's interesting how everything kind of has that collective, uh, you know, that thread connecting everything in a way. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. A few more songs I want to ask you about. Sure. So the second one on the album, black and blue. Uh I really like the sequencing of the record. And I like this song coming in in the second spot because to me, I love both your albums. This album seems a little more um, dynamic, maybe diverse in some ways. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but for sure. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. I mean, I just felt like my first record is great and it's cool. It has like a vibe where it's like all the songs kind of sonically and like tempo wise and everything kind of like sits in a certain like spot, which is cool. Yeah. That's like its own type of experience, but two of those in a row might be like, not a good thing as as an artist um plus just to make my life more interesting on stage where it's like you know writing the song list and just being like ah god like i gotta keep people's attention Uh, but like i have a lot of these tunes that are kind of sitting in this spot so so i just challenge myself to like write much more varied 
tempos and feels and you know and then i spent weeks on the sequence of that album both albums but especially oh, yeah. on the, especially on the new record because you have the thing too or like you we i had more songs and longer songs a couple of them are longer mm-hmm. so like you have the limitations of vinyl where you can only put so much music on a side and i didn't want it to like be overloaded where it just sounded like total crap so you have to like the end of the record needs to be kind of a quieter song if it's getting towards full of the space is completely filled up it's like this whole physics scientific thing that when you do that it you know the way the sound works on the surface you can get away with put more music on it if it's like a song that has less bass and less Oh, wow. You know, loud stuff. So that was part of it. So choosing that, but also like the, just a listening experience and the songs themselves and the messages and, you know, all that. It was like a quite a process to like, it's just like many hours of playing it and listening back and thinking, uh, I get bored here. Like something doesn't feel, this doesn't feel like the right transition. Um, and that's, so yeah, really, that's really interesting that. because... <laughs> No, that's really interesting, all that goes into it, because I was thinking of it just from the kind of listening experience, how one song flows to the next. But, yeah, there's a lot more to consider as well. But I think, you know, all that careful thought pays off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, I mean, when you think of, like, records that you love, like, albums, you know, like, it's, like, a lot of times it's, like, it's the sequence, too. Like, if Mm -hmm. you had a poorly sequenced album, like, it could just become, like, it sounds sound like a mix of tunes that they recorded. It didn't sound like a body of music, you know? And that's yeah, that was the other challenge with this too, is that everything, the songs were much more varied. And so I didn't want to, I, I almost still felt up to like release day that it was like, still like had many personalities. I wasn't sure if it sounded like an album, you know, mm-hmm. but we'll find yeah. out, I guess, as time goes by. Yeah. Well, in my humble opinion, it does. Okay, I got I to gotta ask you about two more songs because this is great. I give you nothing and then you're giving me all this amazing information. <laughs> this is perfect. Living Too Long. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's one that my friend John uh, wrote uh, a good chunk of, or he pretty much, he wrote it and then kind of presented it to me. And I said, that's pretty cool. Like, maybe we can incorporate that into the live set. Like, And, you know, he was sort of like pulling from... Uh, you know, a couple of like the big classic, like barn burner kind of um, rock and like, like 80s George Jones tunes and like, just like kind of, I mean, people associated to with like Merle, like one of his tunes, but it wasn't really ever in that direction. It was pulling from a couple other songs, just like a great, like decent up-tempo tune. And the content was cool because it's kind of just about I always envision like the East Village in New York when I hear that song or when I sing that song like of all these bars that close around like um bars and restaurants and like delis and old mom and pop places that close like around like 2010 to 2014 and that's what he wrote it about it's kind of like everything closing up because of gentrification and you know, oh, wow. people getting older in New York and like, you're still hanging around the spots, but like, it's kind of sad because <laughs> you've been doing it for a while. So. <laughs> right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I just kind of had this little idea for an intro actually from a Grateful Dead song, like a live song, Dark Star recording. And uh, mm. I was like, oh, this could be a cool sort of intro for it. Like if we use this little bit here, they just did 25 minutes into this live recording. <laughs> And then interestingly enough too, uh, Neil sings like the beginning, it sounds like an organ, but it's actually him singing through a Leslie speaker, um, which is a little weird. It's like living too long. It was uh, just, it's, oh. it's a little weird in a way too, but like it was fun because it was like, oh, he's like, let's just do this thing with the Leslie speaker. And that sounds fun. Let's do it. Why not? You know, yeah. like see some fun shit in the studio. Like sure. why not? You know? Yeah. That's great. That's, those are the kind of little tidbits that, you know, I love as a music nerd. And, and it's uh, always the things where we would be like, oh, should we do that? Uh, is that too much? I and mean, he Neil would always say, let's just do it, man, because you're going to wish you did it. And it's like <laughs> nobody, like all those little, like fun little, like tricks or moments in a, in a studio recording, like 
that you can either talk about later or someone figures out. It's like, it's cool. It's like, it's making it more of an, a listening experience, you know? I feel like I've been living too long. Good old days are dead and gone. My good time buddies have all left town. The bars we used to hit ain't around. Monday, Tuesday, it's all the same. Same old faces. Different names. The jukebox playing that same old song. I feel like I've been living too long. They say the best is yet to come. But I can't help thinking this race is run. And, and so the last one I asked you about, the last song in the new one. Time won't take its time. I love it. I remember the first time I listened to the album all the way through and I get to the end and you end the album with a, a yodel. I just thought, of course, that's perfect. Let's put this <laughs> <Yeah>. album in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I wrote that one. I don't know. Shortly after this highway came out, but it was just kind of, there's this building in this neighborhood that I used to live in. that says, call your mom. Like someone like spray painted it like really high up. Uh-huh. And it's like when I'm walking to my train station, I'd always see it. And uh, I'd always kind of chuckle when I would see it because you're not always looking up when you live around there because you know what everything kind of looks like. But mm-hmm. you, know, you look up and be like, oh, yeah, call your mom. I should probably call my mom. Um, and that's sort of, I got sort of got the idea of like this whole modern phenomenon of like people don't see their family as much, you know, or maybe some people talk to their parents every day, but you know, the kind of thing where like everybody lives now in different states and different places. Like, you know, you don't have like the same thing that you had in earlier history in the U S of like families, you know, your parents would help out when you have kids and like, you all kind of live in the same area and that's that, you know, people move around a lot more now. So you find that like, you don't see your family for a year or something, you know, only for this one holiday or these two holidays. So I just kind of was writing about that and, and uh, I, and I actually was just listening to a ton of Jimmy Rogers, so I was like, I really want to kind of try to write like a that kind of Tin Pan Alley, like Jimmy Rogers kind of like mm-hmm. changes, you know, yeah. and like some more like sophisticated changes. And it was on my first record that I actually you know wrote. Like I wanted to really kind of like challenge myself to make cool a cool progression. So that's the story behind that one, I guess. Yeah, it stands out, and it's a great closer to the album. I got on that A train this morning Probably take the bus home late Been wasting away at this old job Just to get a little food on my plate And one last stop at the liquor store Before I tuck my blues into nine Trouble my friend is I'm at a dead end and time won't take its time with me Sure is an awful kind of feeling When your bank account's always low But I don't plan to start out stealing So I earn a few lines in my brow I ain't getting any younger Seeing family less and less Trouble in mind and the world is unkind And time won't take its time with me You're going to want to listen to Skinner after this, so uh, <laughs> I've got the live album, uh, One More From The Road. They do um, Tea For Texas by oh, Jimmy yeah. Rogers' song. If You've probably heard it, but it's a really great live version with, you know, a lot of guitar. It kind of has an Allman Brothers sound, really. It's Totally. I love the Allman Brothers. I, yeah, that's what I grew up. Like, my dad used to listen to Allman Brothers yeah, in the car. Like, every time we got in the car for what seems like a couple of years, like a certain period of my life. So, 
and he had this one tape that had like um live at the Fillmore East and like a part of the um the record that has like blue sky like a couple of those kinds of tunes on it um yeah the, the eat a peach or whatever album i think it was um it's a great one yeah that's that's another favorite, great band yeah. i kind of skinnered and like you know uh the almonds i kind of it, to me it's all like from the same cloth and some level like they're they're from that like period and like spirit of music that was around for a short period of time you know yeah. but it's still here you know because it's it was that good you know yeah now those are the the two titans of southern rock the two bands my dad listened to when i was growing up and i think it's you know it's cooler to like the allman brothers for different reasons than it is to like skinner but yeah they're both great in their own way uh, right so i have to ask you i'll let you go in a, in a minute here but um you know you mentioned grateful dead several times and and i'm one of these people who when i was younger I thought, you know, for whatever reason, I decided I hated Grateful Dead. Yeah. And, and just mean, like I decided I, I hate Skinner. So, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to open my mind here these days because I'm usually wrong. Uh, but I've got, you know, I've got an uncle and some friends who love the dead and they've sent me some stuff. And, and I definitely met the point now where I like them, but I just haven't gotten all the way hooked in. So yeah. putting you on the spot, but is there, is there like the one live show that, that somebody like me has to hear? Uh, I guess it just depends on what they've sent you, I suppose. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you ever have time, you could tune into uh, the live stream that I do on Wednesday nights, or I think yeah, now yeah, that's the answer. I do it on Mixcloud, and now they like, I think they record it. So, like, if you don't get to it when it's live, now it's like available archived, you know? Yeah. Because I, I mean, I just basically go through like a, um, you know, they toured they played so many shows that like i go by the week or the month so it's like if it's like september 18th the show like i'll find shows from september 18th or like around that week that are actually good and i like spend a lot of time like digging up like the good good moments of shows and then some interesting like facts and bits about like that particular time period of what i like about it or like some uh someone that writes something in the archive about their they were at that show uh, but anyways oh, yeah. um you could do that or i mean That's i guess the live at the fillmore east uh show is called the ladies and gentlemen the grateful dead album which is from 1971 which i think the almond brothers played that same show i think same they show opened. okay yeah. but it's a really great quality sounding recording and like it's kind of their them coming into their like best the dead really like becoming like a band in yeah. a, in a greater sense that are like um uh february of 1978 it's an, that's the other sh first show i heard that blew my mind um but it's really like i would stay in the 70s i guess because the 80s it gets weird <laughs> you know you have to really kind of be a fan but you might like that sound i don't know it's, it's like, yeah yeah there's so many different eras of that band that if you like psychedelic you know uh raw kind of rock band and like they had that period but yeah you could try the Fillmore East show and take a look at that i mean it's it's pretty good you know and it kind of has an almonds vibe it's, you can see why they played a bunch of shows together you know sure yeah no i'll check that out and i definitely you know the, the best answer is the first one you gave i'll, I'll check out your thing and yeah and learn from you that way uh, yeah it's like and it's fun there because people there's a chat room so like people like make jokes and talk about like almost like they're there and some people were there like there's people tuning in like this guy that's a host of uh the Sirius xm dead channel he does one of the shows and he's been to so many like legendary shows and so like he'd be like i was there you know like and he just yeah. tells them like a cool story You're like that's crazy you were there dude 1979 yeah. or whatever <laughs> you know yeah. Uh, so it's fun because it's like people interact with each other, you know, and I talk in between, you know, uh, sections of songs and it's a little nerdy, but like it's fun because it's just music history, really, you know. Yeah, no, I'm all for that. I'll definitely check it out. Well, um, look, man, I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Yeah, I'm likewise. Fan of what you're doing. And um, yeah, best of luck to you and, and take care of that baby. Thanks, man. Wish wish me luck on that. I might have to hit you up for some tips since you're a little further down the road. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> That's the one thing I know about, so let me know. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Thanks, man. You're the best. All right. Appreciate you. Hey, yo, delay.